before I get started today, uh, somewhere downstairs in the basement, in fact, near a vehicle that is a CRV. If you own a CRV with a license plate 7440, right near your vehicle downstairs, somebody lost a little silver bracelet. Maybe the size of a child's bracelet, I'm not sure. It says the word sweet on it, and I think I can make out some, some Mickey Mouse symbols here. So if you're here today, and maybe you or your child have lost this bracelet, then I have it here at the front. Gerald, I don't know, if this is yours, you can let me know at the end of service. Anyway, just keep that in mind, and, and maybe uh, later on we can announce it again, just in case your child or your wife, I'm not sure, have lost a, a bracelet. All right. Praise God. Well, also before I get into today's message, let me just give you an update. This past Sunday, we talked about the need and the opportunity to meet the need of Ukrainian refugees that are coming out of Ukraine, traveling for days to Vienna, Austria. And there's a church there, much like our own, an international church there, who's taking care of refugees coming in. Most of them are women and children. And I don't know if you've heard the latest, but it appears that they estimate at least two million people have fled out of Ukraine. Most of them have left with nothing. They just got out as soon as they could. And again, most of them are women and children and the elderly. But we brought that need to you last week, mentioned that church in Vienna that's taking care of refugees coming in. We asked you to pray about it and to give an offering as the Lord stirred up your heart. And from Sunday over the next few days afterward, this past week, we had a love offering of about 20 million rupiah. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so that most of that has already been sent uh, to where it's going. Uh, the other portion will be sent by tomorrow. And again, if you want to give and you haven't done so yet, don't worry. You can still do that, and we will send it off when we receive it. Just make sure you mark that offering, whether it's a transfer or it is an actual offering in the back, please make sure you mark it Ukraine so we know what it's meant for and we know how to send it. This past week, that church was in touch with us and they said that uh, a few days ago, there was another group of people that came in. There were 11, I'm sorry, seven adults and 11 children that just arrived in Vienna to this church and it took them six days to get there. That's a long journey. But this church is now providing blankets and food and showers and a place to sleep. Some people of the church are opening their own homes to house these children and their mothers and grandmothers, and pretty soon they'll be on their way to perhaps Germany, uh, their final destination. This church is also helping them pack brand new uh, duffel bags filled with supplies to get them on the rest of their journey until they make it to their, their safe haven. So. Praise God for what he's doing through the church in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine and in Indonesia. And praise God for the offering that you gave. And we just pray continually that God will not only touch the people of Russia and Ukraine and all surrounding nations, but God will take care of these refugees that are looking for a place to go to find safety. So again, thank you for your sacrifice. And if God should still stir your heart, Give as the Lord leads you. Amen? Amen. Praise God. 
If you'll open your Bibles today, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 2, verse 9 to 16. Now we read verse 9, 10, and 11 last week, but we're going to do it again this week because it has something to do with the, the topic that Paul is talking about. And just so you know where Paul's going right now, from chapter 1, the latter part of chapter 1, all throughout chapter 2, and then into chapter 3, Paul is building this foundation that's leading up to one single point. And the point he's taking us all to is this one thing. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, and we all need mercy. We all need forgiveness. We all need a Savior. And so as we're going to look at what Paul says, again, he's building his case to that one point. But I also want to just stop every once in a while and let us ask ourselves, what does this say about me? Paul may be speaking to the Jewish people. He might be speaking to that church in Rome or the people around the church of Rome, but he's also talking to you. Because remember, it's the Holy Spirit who has inspired these words. So again today, let your prayer be, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Amen? Today's sermon is entitled, Out of Darkness. Romans chapter 2, stand with me if you will. I'll begin at verse 9 until verse 16. For those who are self-seeking, Paul then says this in verse 9, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law, will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, he's speaking of scripture, by nature they do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Amen. You may be seated. This is one of those portions of text that if you just read it from beginning to end, you're going to end up saying, what did he just say? I don't get it. There's so many commas in these words. I don't quite understand what he's saying. This is the time where we have to read it over and over and over again. Hopefully today we'll get some understanding, and hopefully I can encourage you today to keep on digging into what Paul has said. Out of darkness. Let me begin today as I like to do with an illustration that will help set our minds on the direction we're going today. And the illustration is taken from the book of Ruth. 
In the book of Ruth, we find that there is a man named Elimelech, and he's married to Naomi. Both of them Jews from Israel. But there's a famine in Israel. So Elimelech takes his wife Naomi and his two sons, and they go to a land called Moab, a dark land filled with paganism, idolatry, the worship of false gods. But he took them there for safety. And while they were there, probably about 10 years at least, in the meantime, his two sons married two Moabite women, Ruth and the other one named Orpah. And in the process of time, can you imagine Ruth and Orpah having no knowledge of what God has done for Israel yet now that they're married into the Jewish family, I can imagine how many times did they hear the stories of the God of Israel and all that he had done through them and for them, how he was a great and faithful savior to Israel, and how these two young ladies were probably present when the family gathered together to pray and to give thanks to their God, the God of Israel. And also Ruth and Orpah were probably there when the family came together to read daily the scriptures and to pour over them and to pray about them and to meditate upon them. Ruth and Orpah, they probably heard so much about the truth of God. And yet in the process of time, it says that Naomi's husband died. And then after that, the two sons also died. And you had just Naomi and these two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Finally, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws that she was going, going to go back home to Israel, back to her people, back to the land of her God and in the fellowship of God's people. And she very lovingly dismissed these two young girls to go back to where they were, they were from. And she would go alone into Israel. Both of these women heard the same things, were taught the same things, were exposed to the same truths, both of them lost their father-in-law. Both of them lost their husbands. And now Naomi is telling them, you can go home while I go back to Israel. And they both said with their mouths, we will not go home. We will go with you. They both professed that with their mouth, that they would stay with Naomi and go into the land of Israel. But yet, this was only true for Ruth and not for Orp Orpah. Because in the end, the Bible says that Ruth, she was clinging to Naomi. And she said to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go. Where you dwell, I will dwell. I will go to the land with you. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Ruth had the real thing in her heart. But Orpah, the Bible says she went back to her society, into that dark world, she went back to worshiping her false gods. Now both of these ladies were exposed to the same truth. And yet in the end, one decided to walk into that truth. The other one decided to go back to where she was from, back into the darkness of her society. God calls all of us out of darkness and into his light. And maybe God is calling somebody today out of darkness. Sometimes there are even Christians who are playing around in the darkness and they must get out 
and flee. God calls us out of darkness. And in today's message, with what we just read, I want to both encourage you today, of course, but I also want to warn you as we consider these three things. Number one, the light. Number two, the look. And number three, the little cricket. And hopefully you stay awake long enough to hear about the little cricket. Let's begin. Number one, the light. The light. Again, in verse 9 to 11. He says, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. And look what he says. Of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Then he says, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good. And look, there it is again. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Three times in Romans, Paul says that phrase. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you remember we talked about this in chapter 1? When Paul talked about the gospel and the power of it to save those who believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you remember what that meant? It meant that in God's plan of redemption, God called Abraham out of his wicked, sinful, dark society. He gave them the land of Canaan. And through Abraham, God began to build a nation of people. From Abraham, we had Isaac. From Isaac, Jacob. From Jacob, 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And then to that nation, God raised up prophets, men and women, who spoke God's word to the Israelites and to the world. And they also wrote down the words of God for all the people to know. God gave them prophets. God spoke to them. God gave them the written word, the scriptures. And one day God would send to them the Messiah. Jesus, when he came, he was born, born of the Jews from the tribe of Judah. And so God's plan was to send this gospel message to the Jews first so that when they believe they will then go throughout all the world and proclaim it to the rest of the world that all men may know Jesus Christ and be saved. So when we talk about the blessing and the gospel and all that God is doing in redemption, he went to the Jews first and then to all the Greeks. What an honor for a people. What a privilege to a people, the Israelites. But do you notice what Paul says in our text today? He doesn't just mention those who believe and have faith and follow the Lord. He talks about those who reject the truth. Those who despise the goodness of God. And to them, he says, there is tribulation, wrath, anguish. There is judgment to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why is that? Why does he say that phrase in those words when it comes to judgment? Because while the Jews are greatly blessed with the gospel first and then they take it out, in the same way, if the Jews reject such great light given to them, if they reject the goodness of God, they will be the first to be judged and be condemned in their sin. 
There's a movie that says, with great power comes great responsibility or something like that. Well, for the Jewish people, God did a great thing in them. He showed them a great light. And to reject and despise such a great light brings great condemnation. The Jews had a great light indeed. But rejecting such great light brings great condemnation. They are judged first in the eyes of God. The wrath of God in judgment is first poured out upon those who reject the abundance of light that God gives. The Greeks, the Gentiles, those who are outside the people of Israel, they've also received light. Maybe not all in the same ways, but all mankind has received some light from God. Now, it may not be the same magnitude of light, yet there is still light God gives to all men, light to be followed. Do you remember in Romans chapter 1, the Holy Spirit says that all people know there is a God. Why? Because of creation. And just observing creation, we know there is a God. By observing creation, we know something about that God, that he is good, that he's powerful, that he's wise, that he's merciful. This is a light that is shown to all people. But rejecting such light, as little as it might seem, brings condemnation. And if people in the world today are willing to reject the basic truths of God, that he exists, that he is the creator of all things. If they're willing to reject the basic truth of God, then they will also reject that God has a son who came into this world to die for us. Nevertheless, God shines a light for everyone according to the Holy Spirit. And right now, some have an enormous magnitude of light. Others have just a sparkle. Nevertheless, God gives light that no man can have an excuse. If a man is walking through a dark forest, so dark that he can't even see his hand in front of his face, even the smallest glimmer of light in the distance is enough for him to see, to follow, and to rescue himself out of that darkness and be led to that light. Unless, of course, that man has something to hide and doesn't want to be found and wants to remain in darkness. So what does all this have to do with us? Well, today, all of you that are here right now, all of you are living in the midst of great abundance of light. God has shown a great light in your life. What is it? I'm sure many of you, most of you, there are people, maybe in your family, or maybe right here at church, you are surrounded by the prayers of God's people. Day after day, people are pouring out their hearts, praying for you, that God would touch you, help you, lead you to Jesus Christ save you, forgive you. You are in the midst of the multitude of prayers, even here today. 
In fact, right now, there is someone in our sanctuary, in the back, praying for you right now. Also, we have a Bible. We have God's Word. We can read it and be introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. Every one of you, I'm sure, owns a Bible. Today and every Sunday, you hear church sermons where someone opens the Scripture with you and they preach and teach what God's Word says. And not only that, but if you've been a part of our church long enough, you will see that God is doing a mighty, wonderful thing among His people. You've seen it. You can testify of it. You see what God has done and what He still do, does today. God has shown a great light. Now, what if, after all that light, you turn aside and you decide to just go your own way? What then? The Bible speaks of these kinds of people. In the Bible, you will find a warning to the Jew and a warning to the Gentile of being exposed to such wonderful light, and yet they turn and walk away. What is that warning? Well, first of all, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, it's speaking about the Jews who are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're beginning to turn away from the temple and all the worship and all the sacrifices and all the blood on the altars. They are turning to Jesus Christ. And yet, watch what happens. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 and 6. It says, it is impossible, impossible, for those who were once enlightened, receiving that light of truth, and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, if, after all that, if they fall away, they turn from this light and walk in their own ways, back to the temple, back to the sacrifice, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. In other words, Paul is saying for the Jew who hears the gospel and even they're exposed to the Christian people and they can have a taste of what the Holy Spirit is doing among God's people. They see it. It's undeniable. They hear the truth being preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've heard it and they know that there's truth in it. After all of that, the writer of Hebrews says, if you turn away and go back to your darkness, it says it is impossible for you to come back again. Because in your heart, to the Jews, they are doing what their fathers did when they rejected Jesus and crucified him in their hatred. To see the truth of God and to turn away from it comes great condemnation. Great condemnation. That's for the Jew. What about for the Gentile? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 to 21, I believe what Peter is saying here, he's speaking about the Gentiles who hear the gospel. Watch what he says. If after they have escaped 
the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then they are again entangled in them, the pollutions, and overcome by them. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So what is said to the Jews is said to the Gentiles. When they receive the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and hearing it, it's already beginning to change their behavior and they begin to turn away from the pollution of this world. And as they are entering into the faith of Christ, the cares and the concerns and the, the tribulations and the temptations of the world draw them back. And they turn their backs on Christ and go back into the world. According to Peter, they would be better off never coming to Jesus at all rather than come, see it, and walk away. Those who are given great light, if they refuse and turn, great is their condemnation. You all have been given great light. Great light. Be thankful that God has shown such brilliance of light in your life. Be thankful for it and embrace it. And don't ever turn your back on God. Amen? The light. Number two, the look. What is this look? Verse 12 and 13 now. For as many as have sinned. This is where we can get confused here. Let's go over it slowly. For as many as have sinned without law, without the knowledge of the scriptures, of the Bible, when they sin without the law, they perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law, knowing what the scriptures say, and yet living a life of sin anyway, they will be judged by God's law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Now, first of all, the Jews, especially in Paul's day as he's writing Romans, the Jews felt that they were special because, well, they were the custodians of the scriptures. I mean, God spoke through them. The authors of the scriptures were Jewish men. The prophets who spoke the word of God were Jewish men and, and Jewish women as well. They were custodians of the scriptures. And they memorized the scriptures. And they taught the scriptures. But now, according to Paul, it's time for a reality check. And Paul says that people who sin in life, people who live a sinful life, even if they don't know the Bible or know what it says, they will perish. Not because they don't have a Bible, but because they are sinners, they will perish. On the other hand, people who sin, 
even knowing what the Bible says, even knowing the commandments of God, if they still willfully live a life of sin, well then, they will be judged by God's word. And I believe that Paul, even though he uses two different words, some perish, the others are judged, both lead to the same exact conclusion, eternal judgment and wrath. In other words, simply possessing the scriptures, simply holding it in your hands, or hearing it only, even memorizing a few verses, this does not mean we are saved. How blessed we are to have Bibles. Have you ever considered that? How blessed we are to even have and own and hold a Bible in our hands. How blessed we are to have the freedom to have it and to read it, to have it in our homes and to teach our children. Thank God for such wonderful light. Thank God for Bibles. And right now, if you want a Bible that's in the English language, you can have it. If you prefer Bahasa, fine, there's one of those too. Or from wherever you're from today, there is a Bible in your language. Praise God for such gifts. And even beyond that, I look at Darius and I see an actual Bible in his hands. But I think it's probably safe to say that all of you who have a phone in your palm right now, you probably have a Bible even inside your phone. Wow, how blessed we are. But what do you think, church? Is it enough to possess the Bible? To know a few scripture verses by heart? Is it enough to just simply stand when we read the Word of God together? Is it enough to sit where you are and just listen only to what's being preached? Is that enough? No, it is not. Paul says, not the hearers of the law, but the doers of the law will be justified. Those who not only hear, but do what God says. There is one who hears the word of God, and that's enough for them. No need for anything else. Let me just hear it. And they make the mistake of equating hearing God's word with doing God's word. In other words, I just sat in the sanctuary today. Pastor Heath read the Bible. I heard it. Therefore, I am doing it. Wrong. Wrong. It's not the same thing. Hearing it is not enough. And yet there is another person who hears the word of God and believes it. And they look deeply into it. They've been changed by it. They've been given a new heart. They are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And they are filled with a longing, a strong desire to know God and to do as God says. There's a big difference between hearing only and hearing and doing. And those who love God are quick to say, God, tell me what to do. Show me what to do that I may know how to walk in obedience to you. Now this verse is not teaching that we are only saved if we do all that God says and do it perfectly. 
If that's the case, we're all done. We've all failed. There is no heaven. Paul has already proclaimed to us in chapter 1 that God has revealed his wonderful, priceless righteousness. And he reveals it from faith to faith. Amen? And then Paul says, for the just, those who are justified, not guilty, that just person, oh, they live by what? Faith. Faith is what saves. Nevertheless, to the one who has been saved, there is obedience that grows out of the heart of that believer. And let me tell you this. We do God's word. Not just hear it, but do it. We do God's word when we obey what he says. But you know we also do God's word when we fail and we are fallen into temptation and we sin. We can still do God's word by running to him, confessing our sins and being cleansed of it. Do God's word. Obey it. And when you fail, turn to Christ. Confess and you will receive forgiveness. That's a wonderful promise that you find in the Bible. God is faithful to forgive. Now, James also talks about the same topic. And I like how James says what Paul is saying. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. This is what James says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, again, don't think that just because you hear God's word that it means you are doing God's word. Don't be deceived. And then he says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, James is teaching us that when we look into God's word, we are seeing a mirror. Now, I believe if you look correctly and if you look into God's word, you're going to see two people. First and foremost, you will see the Lord Jesus Christ. You will see his character. You will see his loving goodness. You will see his salvation for all who believe. But the word of God is also like a mirror showing you yourself. When you look at the word of God and you read what God says, you see yourself as you truly are. And that is a sinner who needs grace and mercy from God. But James is saying, if you only hear, it's like looking at yourself, seeing that you need mercy, and yet you walk away and you continue to live as though there's no problem. That's a hearer only. Let's use this example maybe to something that's more relatable to us here today. Let's just pretend that there's a man who works in a, in a banking office and he's required to be dressed in a suit, clean shaved, hair brushed every day. 
And let's say that that man wakes up one morning. He stumbles into the bathroom, looks into the mirror, and he sees his face. He sees his hair is all messed up. He sees that that beard is already growing back and it needs a nice clean shave. He gets things prepared and then suddenly his stomach growls. So he goes into the kitchen instead and he whips up some breakfast, something to eat. And as he's eating some toast, he looks at the watch and wouldn't you know it, I woke up late, I'm already late for work. So he hurries up back into his bedroom, puts on a jacket and a tie and hurries on to work. He goes into his office and he sits down and begins working for the day. And along comes the boss. And the boss looks into the office and he sees the man unshaven and his hair is all messed up. And the boss says, um, sir, do you not have a mirror at home? The man says, of course I do. I looked in it this morning. And the boss says, well, do you not have a razor? Do you not have a brush or a comb? The man says, of course I do. It's in my bathroom. I have it. And then the boss says, well, let me give you some advice then. Next time you look in the mirror, do something about it. Wow. I believe that's what the Lord says to us today. When you look into God's word and you see the sin in your life because it will come out, do something about it. Don't just walk away forgetting, being ignorant, or thinking that it doesn't matter. Don't walk away from this. Do you know the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that a glance can save a person. Just one look of faith to Jesus can save a person. But while a glance can save, it's the gaze that sanctifies. That gaze is a long, studied look into the scriptures. And the more you look, the more the Holy Spirit will show you sin in your life and the more you will learn through God's strength to change and the more work the Holy Spirit will do in your life. It's not just about the glance, it's about the gaze into the scriptures. So don't be fooled, brothers and sisters. God commands obedience. Is it in your heart to not only hear what he says, but to do what he says? Amen? So, let us take a close, let us take a long look. Close enough, long enough to see what the Lord speaks to us through his word and do something about it. And last, number three, we have the light, we have the look, and we have the little cricket. Verse 14 and 15. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts are either accusing or they are excusing them. You know, it's amazing to me. Last week we talked about, or the, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about atheists. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit doesn't believe in atheists. But it's amazing to me to hear a self-proclaimed 
atheist. Someone who says there is no God. And yet they claim that murder is wrong. They claim that violence and abuse is wrong. They claim that to love each other is a good thing and that to take care of one another is a good thing. Do you know the, the atheist can only feel such things because he's made in the image of God. He can't get away from it. He cannot escape from God. No matter how hard he tries or how much he attempts to suppress the truth of God in his life, he knows there is a God and he has no excuse for rejecting God. You can travel throughout all the world, even to the most remote places on earth, from the mountain to the jungle to the desert, and you will find that all people believe in a right and in wrong behavior. All people. There's not a village in the world that would accept someone coming in, murdering people, stealing from them, and abusing women and children. Nobody would accept such a behavior. No one. Why is that? Because God has given everyone a conscience, a thought. It's that feeling deep inside that doesn't necessarily guide you. It more like goads you. It, it pokes at you. And you know what is right and wrong from what God has given to your conscience. That means even without seeing the law of God spelled out in written form, even without seeing that, mankind has these basic rules of conduct written upon their hearts and in their soul. The problem is, according to the Bible, man's conscience can be defiled, it can be seared, it can be polluted by sin and lustful passions. A person's conscience can be so damaged by sin that a person will actually find excuses to do the horrible sin they do. As Paul says, the conscience, in the end, it will either accuse you of wrongdoing or it will excuse your wrongdoing. And so I would like to say right now for all of us to hear, Jiminy Cricket was wrong for his advice to Pinocchio. Do you know what I'm talking about? The little wooden doll named Pinocchio? He was promised that if he is good, a good person or a good puppet, he will be made into a real boy. And Pinocchio was given Jiminy Cricket, who's actually a grasshopper, but we're going to go with Cricket. And that little Cricket was to be the conscience of Pinocchio, to guide him into right or wrong. But we all know what Jiminy Cricket so famously said. You've seen the movie, you've read the story, you've heard the songs. What does Jiminy Cricket say to Pinocchio concerning the conscience? He says, always let your conscience be your, come on, don't be embarrassed, your guide. Always let your conscience be your guide. That was his advice. But there is one fatal flaw in such thinking and in such teaching. Jiminy Cricket assumes that the conscience is always good. 
always, always good. And if you'll just listen to it, you will do always what is good. Unfortunately, the Bible is correct that man defiles his conscience through sin. A person's conscience, it must be molded and trained by the Word of God. Just because a person may feel right about a decision doesn't mean that he is right in that decision. Our thoughts and attitudes, our decisions in life need to align with what God says. Therefore, I say, always let God's Word be your guide. Not your conscience. God's Word must be our guide. And God's Word never fails. Never. You can never, ever go wrong obeying God. Never. There are people in the world today that do not want to come into the light that God has shown to them. And they certainly don't want to bow down to his word either. Instead, they will do whatever is right in their own eyes, in their own thinking, in their own hearts. And there they will be, still wandering in darkness. And all these things, Paul says, all these things will be brought out and made known in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Paul keeps on reminding us of a judgment to come. And we must live today in the reality that judgment will come. And so in this last verse, Jesus Christ, he's the Savior. He's the Savior from our sin. But Jesus is also the judge of every secret that we hold in the dark. And one day all things will be brought out and judged. So I say to you today, God calls us all to come out of darkness. Follow that light that God has given to you. Look deeply into his word. And instead of doing whatever you feel is right, you better do what God says is right. Don't listen to the little cricket. We have flaws in our hearts and in our minds. We must do as God says, no matter what the world says, or that little grasshopper. Amen? Amen. Musicians, would you come? As we sing today, a song that we sang during worship service today. As we sing, and we invite all of you to sing, I just want you to put this into prayer. Even as you sing, right where you are, put these things into prayer. And allow the Holy Spirit to reveal what he's saying today to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you examine your own heart, your own life, your own activities in life. And ask the Holy Spirit, am I in line with God? Sometimes we say, God is on our side. The truth is, we better know that we are on God's side. That's the greater truth. We must be on the side of God. Let's pray about these things. Let's stand together and sing. Sister Verna.